With this week's release of the historic 2020 federal budget, economic stimulus seems to be all about high vis and hard hats. But what about the hardest hit? I'm Kat Clay, Head of Digital Communications, and today we've got a bumper budget edition of the podcast for you. Instead of our usual Q&A, three of our Grattan Institute experts will give their extended take on what can only be described as one of the most significant budgets of our generation. First up, we have Grattan CEO Danielle Wood addressing the big picture of the budget. Second, Transport and Cities Program Director Marion Terrell to take on infrastructure. And finally, Health Program Director Stephen Duckett to address the PBS and aged care. I hope you enjoy this special edition of the Grattan Institute podcast. The Prime Minister told us this was the most important budget since World War II, and I think he was absolutely right. Uh, We're in the middle of a global pandemic, the deepest economic shock since the Great Depression, and there was a lot on the line. Uh, On one level, I think the government rose to the occasion. It jettisoned the debt and deficit fetish. It embraced a significant program of spending, $670 billion this year, and a budget deficit of an eye-watering $214 billion. Uh, Debt will rise substantially. Um, Gross debt is going to come up just short of a trillion at the end of the four-year forward estimates. But the budget really highlighted that this is manageable. Um, Interest payments as a share of GDP are actually going to fall compared to their pre-crisis levels because of the extreme low interest rates and debt to GDP will shrink over the decade despite ongoing budget deficits, really highlighting the importance of growth in managing debt. So, the big investment announced was the right thing to do. Stepping back too rapidly from the economy would have left us in a deep hole. Uh, We know so much now about the economic costs of unemployment and the scarring effects on individuals in the labour market. So, stepping in to avoid entrenched long-term unemployment was a must. Plus, we also know there are big costs to the future growth of leaving an economy below potential for an extended period. On the government's forecast, we will grow 3.25% next year, albeit um, under some pretty optimistic assumptions about the health scenarios, including that we'll have a vaccine by the end of next year. Um, So, overall, I would say the good news is the government stepped up to the plate and the scale of the challenge. But of course, uh, it's not just the size of the package, it's what you do with it. Um, There were some good things, there were some less good things. But if I was going to describe the overall strategy, I would say it's a one-year plan for a private sector recovery. And that type of approach is not without its risks. The centrepieces of the budget were very much around business investment and hiring. So, the single biggest measure was an instant expensing measure, um, essentially an immediate asset write-off at $27 billion over four years. There's another $5 billion for businesses to temporarily carry back losses against past tax, essentially a cash flow measure. And we also heard a lot about the $4 billion wage subsidy scheme for, for young unemployed people. Uh, I, I'm very much in favour of a scheme targeted to um, incentivise business to do new hires. Um, I think young people certainly need an employment boost, but you know there, there are fair questions being asked about why it wasn't extended to older people and whether the scale is big enough to have a meaningful impact. Um, all of those measures together, though, will help support biz- business cash flow and make investment and hiring more attractive. So, I've got nothing against the measures per se, but my concern is that the major break on investment is really weak consumer demand. It was a problem before the crisis and it will be again in the recovery phase. So, where's the demand going to come from? Um, The budget's forecasting basically zero real wages growth over the next four years. Uh, That means Australians will be effectively nudging a decade without a pay rise. You know, it's hardly the conditions for a consumer-led boom. 
The tax cuts announced in the budget will help this financial year. I think bringing forward the stage two tax cuts um, will somewhat help boost consumer set spending. But the, the real trick in the numbers is the tax offset, which is the way the tax cut is delivered for low and middle income earners, those that are most likely to spend it, uh, won't hit bank accounts until July 2021. So, that boost to spending isn't necessarily going to be happening when we need it most. So, is it enough? Um, my concern is really that by putting the investment cart before the consumption horse, we're going to miss a crucial opportunity for the recovery this year. As I said, this is very much a one-year plan. The Treasurer is not joking when he says he's focusing on temporary measures. There is virtually zero economic support by the time you get to 2022-23. Of course, you know that could be a good thing. It provides flexibility um, and government can sort of shift the way it intervenes closer to the date as we find out more about how the economy is evolving. But I think in so studiously avoiding anything permanent, we were missing important things that needed to be done. Uh, like the increase in job seeker, I think there was a strong case to make the announcement in the budget about what would happen to the permanent rate. Uh, people that are unemployed and on that payment now are facing a period of heightened uncertainty. It's scheduled to go back to its pre-COVID levels, $40 a day uh, after December and I think most people agree that needs to change and doing it sooner rather than later would pay off. Uh, investment in ch services like childcare was another thing that was very much missing from the budget and something that we saw Labor capitalised on in its um, budget in reply last night. It would have been extremely good policy for the economic recovery, making childcare cheaper, uh, allows those families, particularly the ones that have lost jobs and hours, to keep their children in care. Now, that's good for the child and it's really good for parents, particularly mothers' workforce participation. It leaves them flexible to take jobs as they become available. It's also an incredibly important long-term economic reform and Grattan's done a huge amount of work showing the importance for boosting female workforce participation. Uh, so, those are some, some things that I would have liked to see in the budget. If we go beyond the kind of economy-wide measures though and look at the sectoral supports, uh, especially the stimulus measures, um, I, in my mind there were some strange choices made. It was very focused on construction, particularly transport construction. Uh, it's not particularly labour intensive as a sector. And it's one actually that has a pretty healthy pipeline of work. <laughs> Before COVID, we were, you know, hand-wringing about capacity constraints in the sector. So, you know, that seems to me to be the part of the economy that is least likely to need stimulus. Housing construction, we know will take a big hit, but it's a very different workforce. And that's why um, so many economists are saying that, you know, you're much better at delivering or supporting those jobs through things like social housing you also deliver something that is very much um, a social need at the moment. There was nothing either for the sectors that have lost the most jobs, hospitality, tourism and the arts. Um, they've shed many multiples of jobs in the other sectors and they're likely to be the slowest to recover. Tax cuts will, will help a bit, but I would have really liked to see some more direct support for consumption in those sectors. Um, as we're seeing overseas and in some of states and territories, voucher programs, government discounts, you know, targeted to getting people to um, you know, take a holiday or go out to dinner, every dollar hits the economy and it allows us to target those sectors that are really hard hit. The overall impression that created, the, the focus on infrastructure, some spending on manufacturing, defence, utilities, and nothing for those services to sector, left the impression really that, you know, jobs where you wear a hat, hard hat and make things are real jobs, but services jobs are not. And I think that's really unfortunate.
Um, so if I was to, to summarise, um, you know, we have really backed in the private sector-led recovery. I would have liked to see a more diversified approach and one that was more tailored to the nature of this recession. And my hope is really that um, the government keeps an open mind, the budget does allow for a lot of flexibility and that it will be willing to change path if it doesn't look like that the gamble is paying off. That was Danielle Wood, Grattan Institute CEO. Next up, we have Marion Terrell on infrastructure. If you're a train spotter, this is the budget for you. It's been a budget where there's a big step up in transport infrastructure. So I'll run you through the headlines. Tuesday's budget announcement um, was transport spending of $11.5 billion this year. That's about one and a half times what had been anticipated in the previous budget. Next year, there's even more, around $12.5 billion, then $13.5 for the following two years. And in each case, it's about one and a half times more. And, and we're going really from approximately 0.4% of GDP to 0.6%. The funding is going to be given to the states to spend quickly, on mainly on roads and rail. And if they don't spend it quickly enough, they're going to lose it. The projects are a mix of small things and large things. So when I say small, I mean things like in the ACT, there's an upgrade to the Monero Highway, and the cost of that is $15 million. On the larger end, we've got things like in Queensland, $750 million for the Coomera Connector, stage one, and about $600 million each for an upgrade to part of the New England Highway and part of the Newell Highway, which are both in New South Wales. Back to rail, though. Usually, the Commonwealth puts in round about a billion dollars to rail in a given year. Um, and the, in fact, when they put, in, put down the budget last year, they, it was going to be increasing in the later years of, of the budget period. In reality, they only spent about half a billion last year. Notwithstanding that, now, this year, there's going to be $1.8 billion for rail, next year, 2.6, and then $3, three billion for the two years after that. So it's a big step up, I'd say happy days in rail. A key point of difference really with this budget is that it unusually it is not stacked with the with mega projects. By mega projects I mean a billion dollars or more. We're seeing a lot of smaller and more local projects. So things like there's a, a $2 billion fund for road safety, and that'll be a series of small projects. A billion dollars has been allocated to the local roads and community infrastructure program. This budget also accelerates funding in some cases. An example of that would be $600 million for the South Geelong to Warren Ponds rail upgrade. There is some money for aviation, um, which is quite substantial, more than usual, um, but primarily it's support to airlines and it's already been announced. So the idea behind this budget is stimulus. That's the reason why we're seeing smaller projects than usual and the acceleration in projects. But these projects do go into a very crowded construction market. So work on hand in March of 2020 was at an all-time high. We, uh, our estimates are that it was almost $125 billion worth of work in progress on government transport infrastructure projects. And I think that goes some way to explaining why it is that construction has got off relatively lightly in the pandemic. So there have been job losses between um, March and September of 5.3% in the industry. This is clearly very tough for those affected, but it is nothing like the scale of job losses that we're seeing in hospitality, 22%, and in other industries like arts and recreation, 
agriculture or transport. My final observation would be that last year, the Commonwealth estimated that it was going to spend $7.4 billion in 2019-20 on transport infrastructure. But in reality, it underspent by a whopping $1.7 billion. That's 23%. And it put this down largely to COVID-19 slowing projects down. Now, in this budget, the Commonwealth has ramped up its spend not only on top of what it had estimated that it was going to spend last year, but half again on top of that. In a crowded infrastructure market, construction market, with the difficulties of actually working in a covered safe way and getting the money out the door, it is going to be very interesting to see how much of this $11.5 billion can actually be spent. Finally, we have Stephen Duckett on the health implications of the 2020 budget. So this year's budget is a huge spending budget in health. Uh, Last year, for example, the budget provided for an extra half a billion dollars in health spending uh, in 2020-21. This year, it's an uplift of $5 billion. So it's it's about 10 times what the the uplift in spending was uh, this year compared to last. So it is a big spending budget, and it's a big spending budget because we've got big problems. Uh, so there are about uh, five items in the health portfolio that accounted for 95% or so of this uh, of this big spending. One was actually nothing to do with uh, COVID. It was the pharmaceutical benefits scheme. Uh, the government for a long time now has committed that uh, if there are new new drugs that pass the cost effectiveness threshold by the pharmaceutical benefits advisory committee, it will introduce them. Uh, It's been a bit of a sleight of hand because what they've often done is demand the health portfolio find offsets to pay for these new drugs. But what what is announced in this year's budget is a so-called PBS New Medicines Funding Guarantee, which means that you don't have to do these these offsets. And so that's a a big spending item, but it's an important uh, recognition that that there's a process for adding drugs to the, the pharmaceutical benefit scheme and if, if the drug works and is cost-effective, it should be, should be introduced. The second big spending item was for the COVID vaccine. Now, who knows whether we'll need this item? Uh, we don't know whether a vaccine will be discovered uh, and when it will come on stream if it is discovered. And so there's some speculation. Uh, I think uh, this week I saw speculation that uh, the earliest there'd be widespread rollout would be 2022. But anyway... The government's put aside $2 billion uh, to pay for the vaccine and to, to roll it out if it, if it comes along. And it's, it's a good idea to actually put aside money just in case uh, and because the hope is that it will be there. The third big item was the uh, rolling over some of the Medicare benefit schedule changes that have taken place during the pandemic. Most notably, for example, the telehealth items, and quite appropriately, they have been continued. The The downside is that they haven't been continued indefinitely, and they should be. Um, the government, I think, will be doing that, but hasn't actually formally announced it. The final couple of items were relating to aged care. Even though there's big spending here, almost $2 billion of spending announced, it first of all, is not enough, and it's it, the budget should have signalled a, a start of a reform process in aged care, and it hasn't. And so we've seen the Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety trundling along 
story after story of uh, poor care. And, uh, and we know there's a big problem. Almost anything the government does is going to be the right thing to do to fix this big problem. And so, for example, they announced more home care packages, absolutely the right thing to do. Um, there are 100,000 Australians waiting for uh, a home care package, um, some of them at the right level, at the level at which they've been assessed. But against that 100,000 on the waiting list, only 23,000 packages have been announced. And so it's a drop in the ocean. And so we're going to still have people uh, not getting uh, a home care package they need and they might end up in a residential aged care facility as a result of that. So that's a, a disappointment, uh, both in terms of the quantum in home care and the fact that they haven't signalled that they're going to do major reform, for example, in residential aged care. In addition, the, in the Treasury portfolio, there was a billion dollars as part of the 50-50 cost sharing deal with the states. To, and so those are the big items. There are lots and lots of little items, about 30 or so specific items in the in the budget, many of them small, many of them a result of lobbying and so on, but uh, and each of them will generate some publicity and, and some goodwill, but the reality is, in the great scheme of things, 95% of the spending is in those areas that I've just mentioned. Still got questions on the 2020 budget? Come and talk to us on Twitter at Grattan Inst or on social media, Grattan Institute. If you've enjoyed our budget coverage, why not head to grattan.edu.au forward slash donate and support our work. We'd really appreciate it. As always, stay safe, take care, and thanks for listening. <laughs>